Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Katie Renardo, Renardo from, uh, from OrphanWise. And um, yeah, she is the executive director of, of OrphanWise. And it, the, the name is, is based on something that you used to do. And it, 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 it's not quite what you're about. So could you explain maybe a little bit about your story and, and how you came up with that name and 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 what what you're doing now? Because this is this is all about, uh, as I stand it, you know, you're uh, an advocate for for TBRI, which is one of the best ways that caregivers can connect and, and help their kids heal, right? So, how how did that come about, Katie? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I um, I actually grew up in. Uh, Central Florida and worked with kids my whole life. So even in seventh grade, I was um, doing like church nurseries and uh, like the children's programs and things like that. I always loved working with kids and worked at a daycare in high school. And I just knew that I wanted to study. I wanted to go to to school to study um, orphan care was what I wanted to do. That's what I thought I wanted to do. And so I went to college for human development. And I did my master's in counseling in holistic child development and and did my thesis on uh, best practices for orphan care. And so that was always my passion and my interest. That's where, you know, the the term orphan in in the name of my nonprofit comes from. Um, And so I spent a few years after I graduated living in South America in the country of Paraguay. Um, And worked at a children's home and uh, lived on campus and worked at school and I taught English and learned a lot (laughs) in that amount of time. Um, I learned a lot about uh, practically how children deal with situations in their lives that are not ideal, right? How they deal with trauma and stress and, you know, that they didn't have to be orphans to have experienced that kind of trauma and stress and um, to be having what we would call negative behaviors, in quotes, um, in my classroom or, or in the home. And so we were looking for what can we do to help these children heal because we weren't seeing a lot of changes in the children's um, mental health and their behaviors. And this is children from ages two up to 22 um, that, were, that were there. And so that's when we discovered TBRI, which is, I'll talk more about that, I think, but it it stands for Trust-Based Relational Intervention. And it was a model that was developed uh, about 15 to 20 years ago. They started working on it at Texas Christian University. And it's a model, a very holistic model, really, for um, understanding, first of all, the brain and understanding what stress and trauma do, do to the brain. And then how to practically, like what you can do practically, not just as a therapist, but as a caregiver, daily caregiver, whether that's the staff in a home, uh, an orphanage, or adoptive parents in this case, or a foster parent, um, or a teacher, anyone in that child's life that is with them on a daily basis, how to help them on a healing journey. And so when I started my nonprofit, in answer to your question, um, I knew that the, the majority of the population didn't, would not really understand the nuances of uh, what I just told you, right? And I needed a, a quick kind of title or, or word that would represent what we were doing. And so I picked Orphan Wise because um, I wanted us to be wiser about 
you know, what, what, what we do when we care for orphans and children from hard places. And, and, and in addition, of course, I love that in, in, it's a play on words, right? Orphan wise, it's, it's in the direction or in the, um, in the interest of the orphan or the traumatized or hurting child. Yeah, yeah, fascinating stuff and a great, a great, uh, a great journey. There's some um, some similarities when we spoke last week. I thought similarities from you from yourself in terms of um, a passion for working for kids. Yours started a lot earlier than than, than mine did, right? Um, but then and then a desire from learning stuff with kids and then sharing what we've learned with with uh, with with parents and with caregivers because we can't for, for logistical for safeguarding issues, um, we need to be addressing, we need to be communicating, we need to be sharing what we've learned with the, the primary uh, care, caregivers because they're the ones best placed to, to make, the uh, make the transformation within their kids' lives. Um, so one of the things that, you really, that really stuck with me um, last last week when we spoke is the fact that you said something along the lines that uh, it, you, you, sum, well, you summed up what parents say to you when they get in touch with you in, uh, in a very simple way. And you said that parents want to know how to f fix their kids. Is that, is that what you said? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. What can you do to fix my child? Yeah. What, what can you do? What can you do to fix my child? And as, as, as it, as it became clear, as our conversation continued, it became clear that essentially asking that question is barking up the completely wrong tree. So do, do you have that idiom in, 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 in the US? Is that? Yeah. Yeah, we do. So we bark it because, uh, uh, Katie's also uh, as I don't know how she's she's got this uh, she's she's got this ability to 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 multitask right and as men <laughs> we know that we can't do this as we're doing this podcast Katie's actually playing with a a dog and she's managing to uh, she's managing to hold it all together and answer my questions uh, beautifully right um, but you know so the, the the fact that you're playing with your dog as we speak it was why the kind of barking up the wrong tree metaphor came, came, metaphor came to, to my life so it came came to my life came to, came came to my mind so why 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 is it you think that people uh, that the parents are barking up the wrong tree why did you say that well i think that part of the the problem is that by the time we realize that what we're doing are the ways that we have always done things with children that have um, histories of, of toxic stress and trauma. By the time we realize that it's not working, we're exhausted and we're, we're completely worn out and we're at the end of our rope, another metaphor for you. And I think by the time, a lot of times a parent is ready to try something new and they come to one of my courses or to my coaching sessions, um, they're like, please just take them and fix them, right? Talking about my puppy, sometimes I feel like that about her, right? When she's getting, I don't, I, I don't want to go like learn how to train her myself. Someone else take her and fix her and bring her back to me, <laughs> you know, like I'm just so tired. 
Um, and so I think a lot of times parents start with that, like there's the, the problem is, is with my child. Um, and so they're the ones that need to be fixed. And so, um, you know, that's, that's not really how it works because uh, it's Karen Purvis. She's the, she's the woman, the doctor who um, developed TBRI. She's the one that started it. And she used to say, um, this, this work is a dance. Raising a child is a dance. You know, it's two people. It's, it's parent and child. It's not just the child that we are working with. And so the parent is at least 50% of the interaction. And so it, what we have to think about is how is what I'm doing as the caregiver? How is what I'm doing currently? How is my current state? Whether that's, you know, my hunger, my, my tiredness, my mental health, how is that affecting this interaction? How, is the, how are the strategies that I have at my disposal, whether they're the strategies my parents taught me or otherwise, how are they feeding into this interaction? How is my own childhood and my own experiences and my own history of whatever it is, trauma and stress being triggered by what's happening with my child? You know, so um, how am I a part of this dance? And so that's really the place that we have to start. And that's, that's why I do what I do with working life. Yeah. So if I can just go back to this to try and sum it up though. So we talk about maybe the reasons what I guess it, it seems kind of obvious and intuitive and, and we kind of fall for it. So the child's come from hard places. The child's been through some tra trauma. And so it's kind of because they've had that history, we're all assuming that they that they're the one that's got the problem. Right. I mean, like it's like so we maybe our, our so our life has been our, our 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 early life was easier than theirs and therefore and and therefore it's it's them that's got the problem I, i'm not really expressing this very well but I'm, I'm trying to get to the point of trying to prompt an insight right and i'm trying to understand this myself so why do we why do we think it's always about somebody else rather than us is it is it our ego is it the logic i mean what is it what why do we why do parents think this why do the parents think this way well i think that it's a lot of times it's this what i would call being in survival mode um we are we are in the mode of self-protection and self-defense and looking on the outside right for the solutions to what the what is going on. And, and what we know is that we can also experience secondary trauma from working with and having a child that has come from a background of trauma. And so, um, you know, trauma and toxic stress fundamentally change the way our brains develop. They change the way our brain responds to the world around us. And so um, we have what we have on the outside to look at is simply behaviors. And we often don't realize, I think it's because we fail to realize that there's things going on underneath the surface that we can't see. We can't see what's going on in the brain or the body of the child. Those, those struggles that are changes that have happened or in their um, biology, the, the things that have changed in their biology, the things they believe about themselves. Um, it's more than just those behaviors. And I think the same is true for us. Yeah. So 
I actually recorded uh, a podcast on a, a similar sort of theme uh, with uh, another Katie, actually, um, a couple of days ago. And uh, the story that I shared with her was a, 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 a something that occurred to me about m- me and my mum, right? So I, I, I realised, so my mum's downsizing and I'm not being very patient about it. Um, but instead of instead of seeing my own impatience as the problem, I, I'm lo- I, I'm looking at my mum and thinking, well, look, you said you were going to do this about you know getting rid of some furniture. That's the plan. You know, why are you going back on 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 the plan? Why is the, why is everything up in the air? And you know, naturally, I would I would be saying. Oh, my mum's struggling to cope. Da, 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 da. But actually, the problem is with me and, and my impatience. So I see my, I can see my own impatience more of the time than I used to. Not all the time. So I'm impatient in the swimming pool, for example. Right? I'm impatient in the swimming pool, and my, and I'm impatient with my mum. So that that's kind of like a a personal perhaps a more trivial example hopefully you know sometimes it's easier to see this stuff with more trivial things and things outside us so i thought the problem with mum i i put i thought the problem was with my mum um and her let's say dithering you know like indecision about downsizing and then i realized ah no it's not it's about me being impatient with her and and I and I got to the point and I thought well I shared this with her and I said I, I'd like to be as patient with you mum as you were with me right uh, and that's I we can't see our own stuff can we we it's it, so it's, hard it's, right it's the self and, and, and it's hard to see past those expectations right? Like you have an expectation of this is the way it's going to go. Parents have an expectation of this is the way my child should act. And um, so I think that's, that is exactly, exactly right. The first step is to be self-aware about what is, what is my expectation here? And is it a realistic expectation? Is it the right expectation? You know, and and that maybe my expectation is the problem, not the, the person that is not fulfilling my expectation. Yeah. So like, for instance, with these children, we have, and this comes up a lot in, in, in every consultation and training that I do. Um, why won't my child, but they're 13 years old. Why don't they act like a 13 year old? Right. Or they're eight years old. Why don't they act like they're eight years old? And there's this very, I mean, I'm sure your parents may have said it to you. Mine would have said it to me, you know, like you're 18, act like it. Um, you know, the kind of this like expectation of where the line is and where the bar is set for you. And the thing is that there's a lot of research out there now that shows us that children and and adults who have experienced these trauma, we have to change our expectation. We have to change where the bar is because they're developmentally, socially and emotionally about half their age. And so like you're saying, your expectation is one thing and, but the, the reality is another. The same is true for what these children can do, right? They're, they're 13 in, in chronological years, but they're seven, you know, seven and a half in, in emotional and social development if they have not resolved their trauma. And so we can't have 13-year-old expectations. Yeah. We, have to, we have to have seven-year-old expectations. 
so yeah, I think being self-aware about why, why do I have the expectations I have and having compassion, like you're talking about with your mom, um, having compassion for and patience is yeah. the first step. So for, for me, I'm, I'm just trying to always trying to prompt an insight into these, uh, in these, um, in these podcasts that we do. I'm always, and I'm, I'm trying to stay curious myself and I'm always trying to come back up to the top and, uh, and, and look down on it with a, a you know, a, be- a bigger perspective. And the thing, the thing that struck me is that as a, you know, the parent knows to, a, to an extent, they, they know the history, right? Um, they know the history, but, and they can, they can see the behavior, right? It's obvious people, I've done, done a lot of, uh, you know, webinars with adoptive parents recently. And the, you know, one of the first things that they always mention is the, the behavior and the kind of like the anger, anger fueled behavior, trauma fueled, um, sure. trauma fueled behavior. And mm-hmm. that, that behavior is clear for, for the parent to see. Okay, they can see that really, really clearly. So that's what looks like is the problem. What they can't see is their expectations. Like it's hard to see, it's hard to see our, you know, it's hard to see the picture when we're in the frame. It's hard to see our own expectations. They're in our heads. They're 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 very invisible. Yeah, they're invisible. They're in they're in there's invisible. They're in as as invisible as the stuff that's going on inside the, the child, that stuff manifests manifests itself in in this um, anger and, and 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 this behavior and this yeah. trauma. It that is clear. We can see that with our own eyes. We can't see our expectations, and because we can't see our expectations, we don't see how our expectations are. Um, uh, Creating the problem, um, feeding, certainly feeding, feeding the problem, right? continuing very, the cycle, continuing the yeah. cycle. Yeah, that's a bit. So yeah, it's it's like it's going into like a vicious, a vicious circle, isn't vicious it? cycle, a vicious sure cycle, is. rather than a virtuous cycle. Yeah. So so the key would seem to me, just on pu- purely logic, would be to uh, it, it would be to so would be to say, well, how do we create? Uh, how do we create a, a virtuous cycle? So how do we see more, how do we come, become more self-aware, become more aware of our own expectations, become more aware of this stuff so that we create a virtuous cycle rather than a vicious one? Right. So we can, yeah, so we can look in the mirror, I think. It's, it's sometimes really hard to look in the mirror, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and see what it is that we're actually doing. Yeah, that clarity of being able to um, self-reflect is a hard step to take, right? Because it, it's, um, it, can, it can be very vulnerable and very, can feel very threatening, you know, to be like, I have to change something. I have to dig into my own... Um, feelings and thoughts and, and beliefs and my own history. And I think there's a bunch of different places to start. Like you were, you're just talking about, uh, 
you know, what do we do so we can, we can have this self-awareness? I think therapy is one way, you know, a lot of times we think about, oh, the child needs therapy and they, and they do, they do, don't get me wrong. The child still needs um, therapy and help, but um, what, what we often see is that child gets an hour of therapy a week and then the caregiver's undoing it. The other, you know, hundred and whatever hours a week, <laughs> they're undoing all that work. And so um, the parent themselves needs therapy. They need a help, you know, a guide basically from someone else that can look at and ask them questions like that curiosity you were just talking about. They can ask them, you know, why, what's, what's going on, what's underneath that um, and can ask those good questions. So there's therapy, there's, there's books that can help you to self-reflect that are very good. Um, understanding your attachment style is a really great place to start. Um, we do that with TBRI where we talk a lot about talking about cycles. Um, we talk about the attachment cycle and we talk about um, what that looks like in kids versus adults. And so um, maybe what you're, it kind of is almost like a diagnosis in a sense of um, taking your current behaviors and history and looking at, okay, what does this mean? Um, what is this, you know, what are my patterns and how do I recognize those patterns? And so there's, there's some really good um, attachment quizzes online that you can do. There's also the attachment interview that's a, um, researched and well studied and um, it, has some, it has a lot of years and years behind it um, that someone who is licensed in the attachment interview can do with you over the phone. So there's ways to start. I think I would say my journey to understanding myself um, if we're talking being personal, my journey started with doing my attachment interview and really understanding, okay, I don't have secure attachment and this is the behaviors and the, the things that I'm doing, the patterns that I have, and this, is, this might be why. And so I could start when I would do those things, I would be able to say, oh, I'm recognizing this. And now I can think about how I can change those things. Yeah. Um, and doing having conversations just like we're doing here with people that are trusted and and people that know you can also be you know an informal way of doing that self-reflection too yeah. so one of the when i was thinking about this uh earlier in the week i, I was thinking well what what is self-awareness um and so i googled it right and, and, and i googled it again while we were just speaking there while you were speaking and it says uh, the, so the the top the, the top results on, on on Google comes from verywellmind.com. Verywellmind.com. <laughs> that's that's keyword stuffing. That really <laughs> very well mind, right? Um, sorry, keyword stuffing is trying to get to the is trying to name your domain by as many different keywords as you can right. to, to the top of the SEO, right? So it says self awareness involves being aware. Uh, don't you think that that's really bad when people use the the word from the, the word in the definition yeah. <laughs> okay. so but this is me being lazy right so I just googled it self-awareness involves being aware of different aspects of the self including traits behaviors and feelings right so um now uh so and then it says essentially it is a psychological state in which oneself becomes the focus of attention. Self-awareness is one of the first components of the self-concept to emerge. And what, 
what came to my mind um, when I saw that? It says traits, behaviours and feelings. Well, when, when we talk about kids, we, we talk about separating, separating the behaviour from the child, don't we? we yeah. We do, yeah. We do. We, we don't... Seeing the real child versus the, the behaviour that's blocking us from seeing the child. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So um, what, bearing that, in, bearing that in mind, I obviously picked a, a bit of a duff, uh, a bit of a duff um, uh, definition or Google picked a duff definition for me. Um, what, what for you, what for you is a, would be a, a, a better definition of, of, of self-awareness? As in regard to, being an adoptive parent because you know there's the the self is well you know like it's my it's my um it's my fascination right so i could talk about this forever what self i would say i i would say that our feelings are not part of ourselves i would say our thoughts aren't part of ourselves you know i but you know that that's my pet stuff but what what would be what would be your view on a better definition of, of, of self-awareness for adoptive parents yes i well i think my definition is a little broader than yours so i might use a different term just to separate it out okay. i would use the term mindfulness um okay. and mindfulness the definition of mindfulness i think boils down to being present being fully present and having the ability to acknowledge reality past reality present reality as well as the ability to let it go with compassion for yourself and for others and so um that's that's kind of that's, that's more than a definition i think that's that's even talking more about the process as well but when we talk about mindfulness we, we're talking about being able to look at where we are what's happening um inside us and outside us right um, I think that that's being emotionally present, being physically present, being all in the same place. Like the, the quote, and I'm forgetting who said this, and unfortunately I have to look it up, but um, wherever you are, be all there. You know, that, that quote about being able to not allow the past to um, dictate. It's going to influence, right? But not to dictate and not to have control and not allow my circumstances to have control, but in order to um, make a, a less impulsive, less reactive, more responsive choice um, as to how I'm going to show up in the world. That's the essence of mindfulness. The essence of mindfulness is that, um, you know, my past, my present, and my future, I'm able to integrate them. And, and being integrated, being whole, that's the whole goal of mindfulness, to not be um, separated into pieces, but and I would actually even say to, to accept that all of those things are part of myself, my feelings, my thoughts, my emotions, my um, past, my present, all of that is part of, it makes up who I am, but none of it defines who I am. None of it is all of who I am. Um, so I think, I think maybe we have, I don't know if it's different, um, terminology or different ways of just thinking about it. And I really do enjoy, um, talking through it but I think that's more of what I would I would say for parents 
is is so important. Yeah, I, I think we do have different. It, it, it all comes down to the to to the to the terms, and you know what we define by the word South, right? So, sure. yeah. Um, I think I I think that uh, that that specific thing that you shared about doing the attachment interview, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's the bit that that really stood out for me as a practical step. So I'm quite a deep thinking guy and I could quite happily dive into a conversation with you uh, about yeah, I love talking about attachment it's it's yeah. one of my favorite topics <laughs> so sure. um yeah I, I mean I, I don't know a lot about attachment I, I, well, I don't think I do I, I, I know I know I, I know a lot about the self stuff um but I know a lot less about attachment so talk 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 to me about well what is it what what, what is attachment and, and and why does understanding it or how does understanding it help uh, an adopted parent raise a child to thrive yeah i think it's it's critical it's a critical first piece so um attachment is based on um a theory um that mary ainsworth and bowlby um developed and I'm, i can't remember what year it was so forgive me i'll have to but i'll have to send that to you but huh? um these researchers developed this idea based on some studies they did with baby monkeys and their mothers and and, and in, a, in a lab but, but the, at the end of the day the idea of the attachment of attachment theory is that um attachment is a cycle that happens over the, the years of a child's life and specifically in the first year of a baby's life um, there's a lot of attachment going on. So the idea of attachment is that um, you start with this cycle with a, a, the baby cries or the, the baby expresses a need. There's a need that this child has and they, their body becomes very, um, and, and they're, they're, they get upset and their body becomes agitated and they start to, um, their, their sympathetic nervous system uh, activates. And so they're, you see their face turning red and they get upset and this is, and they go into what we call stress or distress. And so um, maybe they're hungry, they're crying. And then what would happen in a healthy attachment cycle is that the caregiver comes and meets the need, right? So they give them a bottle or they nurse the baby. And right after that happens, right after the caregiver comes and says, yes, then the baby's body calms down. Their parasympathetic nervous system activates, they relax. Um, and they can, you know, stop crying and they are happy again and they, their body is learning how to calm itself. And then, you know, what happens five minutes later, the baby now needs their diaper changed, right? So the baby cries again. I'm so sorry about that noise. The baby cries again and then they get upset and their, their sympathetic nervous system gets activated and then parent comes and changes their diaper and meets the need and then their body comes down. And so the, the important part of that is the saying yes, right? The caregiver coming and helping their body to learn this new pattern of getting upset, calming down, distress, calm, distress, calm. Um, and so 
their their fight, flight, or freeze mode, which is what happens when they're in what we would call like their survival mode. They're they're hungry or they're tired or they're you know they need a diaper change. They're uncomfortable. That that whole system is a foundation for a child for um, self worth. You know, I'm worth somebody coming and taking care of me. Um, it's a foundation for self regulation. My body knows how to get upset and to calm. It's a foundation for trust. The world is a good place. I'm going to be taken care of. And so um, mental health develops from all of those things, right? Mental health is, a, is founded on those, um, this, the ability to self-regulate and to calm down and the sense of self-worth and belief that um, I matter and my voice matters. And so that's a healthy attachment cycle. And that happens, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of times in the first year of life and even throughout the child's life. Um, child has a need, gets upset, caregiver meets the need, they calm. And so um, it's a healthy pattern that the body and the brain learn and it sets that foundation for mental health. But when you lose that caregiver meeting the need, when, when the caregiver does not come or can't come, is not present um, mentally and emotionally or, or to meet the need, or the caregiver is in fact um, abusive or meeting that need with um, instead of meeting the need, they're they're hurting, they're they're harming, um, they're or they're neglecting, right? When you lose the caregiver piece of that cycle, you lose the whole second half of the cycle. You lose the the body's ability to calm. You lose the body's ability um, to enact to enact that parasympathetic nervous system and those calming neurotransmitters like the serotonin in the brain. They don't get used very much, and so. The brain stays in fight, flight, or freeze. The body stays in fight, flight, and freeze. Um, they're constantly in distress. And so um, they, they do not have the mental health foundation. They do not have the foundation of self-worth. Um, they do not have a trusting foundation that the world is a good place that I'm going to be taken care of. And so you lose you know, that self-regulation piece of being able to control their impulses and to calm themselves down. And so over time, um, that attachment cycle either builds or it breaks down and you have children that go, you know, on one of those two pathways towards mental health or towards um, mental illness. And we see the consequences of that as the child gets older and it develops into four different attachment styles. That's, that's the theory is based on these four different attachment styles in children and four different attachment styles in adults. Um, and they're, they're very similar. Uh, they have different names, but the, the, kind of the idea is that they are very similar and they develop into similar um, traits as they become adults. And so briefly, I'll just talk about the adults rather than the children since we're talking to caregivers right now, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. um, Yeah, so for the adults, there's the secure attachment, which is when you've had that caregiver, you know the world is a good place and you have self-worth. 50% um, of the population actually, according to research, has secure attachment. Um, and then the other types of attachment are insecure styles. So um, briefly, one of them is called dismissive. And that is the type of, or avoidance, depending on the, the terminology, the study that you're looking at. But the idea is that this is a parent or a person, an adult who um, can't trust people, maybe their, their um, needs were met physically, but maybe their emotional needs were not met. They didn't have the, the emotional side of the connection. And so 
they trust in things more than people. They might prefer to be on their computer, on their phone, might be, you know, going out on the boat on the weekend instead of spending time with their family. And so that's a dismissive attachment style. Um, this is the, the parent that's like, you know, walk it off, you'll be fine. You know, like not acknowledging the pain that's in the moment because they want it to go away as fast as possible. Um, and this parent might have trouble, like you're talking about, seeing their, their themselves, seeing how what they're doing is relevant, how it affects the interactions that they're having um, because they don't want to sit with emotions and they might not remember very much of their childhood. Everything was great with their childhood. They don't have a lot of memories. Um, and then another, on the other flip side is the anxious um, or entangled attachment style. And this is the adult that is very, almost over self-aware, right? They are, they know, or they, they think they are. They remember every detail from their childhood. They have maybe a lot of resentment or a lot of um, anger towards their, the, the way they were raised or what they went through. They have a very strong codependency or overconnection with people to the point where they have trouble making their own decisions or doing anything alone. Um, they really are, are, have a lot of trouble with autonomy, with, with kind of being their own person. Um, and so they get, they're entangled, that, that's the word that's used, because they have trouble separating themselves from other um, people, like maybe a people pleaser. Um, this might be the adult who, who is, sees their child's success as their success. They over-identify with their child. They're, they're living vicariously through their child, right? Um, and so that's another attachment style. And then the, the final one is this called disorganized. And this is an attachment style that's unresolved. Um, it's, this is, they don't have a consistent pattern for dealing with relationships in the world. Um, attachment that pattern, that cycle of attachment sets us up for relationships in life, whether those are relationships with friends or coworkers or future partners. Um, and so when, it's, when it is not a secure attachment, then we don't learn a pattern sometimes to interact with the world at all. So when you understand, all that to say, when you understand where you fall along those lines, that's the first step to becoming self-aware because you start recognizing those patterns. Yeah. I tend to do this, I tend to do this. And, maybe how they are not as healthy as they yeah. are. So what we're talking about with self-awareness then really is, is, is more like, you know, the, the trait, the traits awareness, like that, that when I read that description, I said, um, you know, traits and behaviors, what, what would self-aware isn't being aware of who we are or discovering who we are. It's looking at our, looking at our own behaviors and making what is invisible uh, visible to us and presumably these these are all uh, th these are aren't these are zones rather than categories right does sure yeah I would say it's a continuum I also would say that it depends sometimes I would say I'm more one type with certain person and more like another with another person and so I think that it's very much like you're saying it's, it's a continuum rather than a strict category. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and, it's and, and it's person specific. So yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Ah, interesting. Because I hadn't seen that come in at all. That might be, uh, that's an interesting thing, you know, for, perhaps for people to re reflect on is, you know, to what extent are they different with different people? 
yeah, for sure. I, I, so I sometimes think about that in terms of myself and uh, how I am with different, you know, I'm different, I, or I am uh, professionally rather than personally, right? So, um, oh, definitely. That, those can be two very different. And, you know, dismissive personality or the dismissive attachment style, excuse me, is an ideal one to have at the professional level, right? To be able to put your emotions aside and be very logical and focus on the task. So some of those skills are very, very useful in different situations and you might use them in your professional yeah. life and they may not serve you as well in your personal life. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's fascinating because the thing came to my mind on, on that is, you know, when you're um, uh, having problems with the computer, when I'm, when, well, when you, when, when I'm having problems with the computer and you get this, uh, and maybe you're trying to get something through. You tr you, you're ringing your helpline, or you're trying to get some, you know, an answer on. These days, it isn't helplines; it's all online chat, isn't it? Because yeah. <laughs> it, um, because it, it's a lot faster, you know, and people can be, and there's records of it. And I often think that those those people on those uh, on those help desks or help chat, you know, help, help chat boxes, seem mm. to be totally and utterly well dismissive to use your, to use that word they have come oh, yeah. and and but they but they are so um the, i can see how that benefits them but as a as a as a frustrated user when, when for me what they're showing is a complete lack of empathy a complete lack and and so um, yeah, that's so frustrating, isn't it? When you and, can't and, get and, any type of emotional response from someone that yeah, you're and, or, or just an, an acknowledgement. There's just yeah. there's there's no acknowledgement of it, uh, and 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 that like you know, do you not? You know, they they obviously everybody's everybody's customer care friendly, and you know, customers first and all that. And you just think, nah, you you you're not not not. I, I don't see that in your in your. Um, uh, I, I don't see that uh, in uh, being, I don't see any evidence of that on the people on your helpline. They, they just, they don't acknowledge anything. It's, it's just. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's, that plays I, out in different jobs. Yeah. And um, I often think about, um, you know, the techies, the, the, the coneheads who seems, seem to have uh, ice running through the veins. You know, they just expect the computer to go wrong all the time and they just stay with it um and i'm, I'm at somewhere at the, at the other end of the spectrum you know absolutely losing it anyway um so what um what else and i i sorry so if we can what we're talking about here really is it is relevant because it's a it's a difference in attachment styles, isn't it? So I'm talking yeah. about a difference in style between me and some, you know, techie, geek, helpline person. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and you're talking about the becoming the parent, the child, of, the parent or the... and the child. So our attachment yeah. style, there, there, may be, there, there may be some um, clashes here. And the clashes, sure. adoption, in, 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 clashes, clashes in adoption. Uh, um, attachment style um don't seem to be conducive to to trust you said tbr right. trust right so if there's that right. 
mismatch. Exactly. So that's why it's called that, right? That's why it's called trust-based relational intervention, because what it's all about is rebuilding that attachment cycle. It's about going back, you know, that we know now that the brain continues to change and grow and, and form throughout the lifespan. So you aren't set in your, you know, future relationship. This is how it is forever. By the time you're 12, you know, you can continue to make those, um, improvements in yourself that you can become self-aware you can change the way that um, you respond and you can help a child to build trust again by redoing that attachment cycle and so basically what tbri is all about is understanding that the way that i respond to the child in my care it has the ability to um affect their brain and their body and their beliefs and their biology, which will in turn impact their behavior at the end of the day, because the behavior is just a symptom of all those things. And so what we want to do is get to that point in the attachment cycle where it went wrong, where the child did not receive the yes, they did not receive the nurturing care that they needed. And we want to start to say yes, and to rebuild and to um, let them know that they can trust and their voice matters and give them back a voice and give them back um, appropriate amounts of control and the ability to um, have say in what happens to them. And so that's why this is such an effective tool because it is holistic and because it does work on rebuilding what has been um, damaged in a healing way, right? Not to fix the child, um, but to create a secure attachment figure for that child that they have not had. Um, and so the, the exciting part about this, and this is why what OrphanWise does is so, I think unique in some ways um, is because, you know, I loved working with the kids myself. And, and honestly, I prefer to teach kids. I love kids. Um, but I found that if I really wanted to help with the healing process on a, a larger, more sustainable scale that I needed to help the attachment figures because I can't be a, an attachment fig, figure for 10,000, 20,000 children. You know, I, it's just impossible for me to be that person. But I can teach these skills. I can bring TVRI um, understanding and, and those strategies to 20,000 parents, 20,000 caregivers. And that they can impact, you know, 50,000, 100,000, however many children. Um, and so that's that, that, that ability to empower the caregivers to become that secure, safe person for their child, that their child needs, that's the whole goal of everything that we do. Yeah. And I, I want to take you right back to the start of what you just said then, because I thought it was, there was genius in it. You said... Behavior is a symptom. Yeah. Behavior is a symptom. Um, and I guess people that come to you know it's. The behavior is the thing to be fixed. Yeah. Right. But they. So I find it fascinating because they're coming to you because of your TBRI credentials, right? And yet they're still thinking that it, it, it's about 
facing the kid. I, I find that, I find that, I find that fascinating. I find that fascinating. I think that yeah. Ultimately, the goal is they want healing for their. They want their child to be fixed. They want healing for their child, and that's and you know that we do get to those strategies. How do I give good eye contact? How do I um, understand sensory processing? How do I support my child's body through nutrition and hydration and and things like we do talk about those strategies. Um, but it's all about starting with the caregiver because, and, and maybe this is, this is the key of all of it is, and Dr. Purvis used to say this, you can't take a child on a journey you haven't made yourself. And so unless we have done that journey of healing for ourselves, we cannot take the children on that journey with us. Yeah. So do we, do we fail to see our own? wounds is that yeah i think that's exactly it i think that's exactly it maybe maybe it's too painful maybe it's we thought they were already taken care of um but yeah i think you're exactly right yeah that feels like a good place to uh to bring it in that's been fantastic katie um so as always listeners um i always create some um uh, show notes they're called at the bottom on, on the podcast uh so that you can find out more about the guests that are on and you can connect with them on social uh you can check out their websites so i would uh i would urge you to take a look at what Katie's doing if if this if you're still listening now an hour in um there must have been something that resonated for you right um so if you're looking to explore this uh, this this more then um check out uh orphanwise Orphan, it's orphanwise.org right yep that's correct and on uh, facebook and instagram at orphanwise as well yeah okay so don't worry if you're driving or walking walking the dog. There's links in the show notes to 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 the to the uh, to the socials and the website. And um, Katie, thank thanks again. That's been uh, been brilliant and uh, fascinating for me to learn. I I asked somebody about attachment theory and they went far too deep, and I, and they just completely lost me. I'm not bright enough. I wasn't bright enough to 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 keep up with them. Um, so the fact that you gave me a, gave us a great overview of that. Um, uh, that really, that really helped me. So that's great. That's so it. great to hear. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. Thanks a lot. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye listeners. Thank you.